Hi folks! It's been a while since the last Automation Impact episode, mainly because I had a lot of work. But now I'm back and here is the new, fresh, cool episode for you. Check it out! Hello there! Welcome to Automation Impact Podcast. My name is Edward Slopetsky. I'm UiPath MVP and founder of Active Automation. In this podcast, together with UiPath Most Valuable Professionals and other guests, we are sharing our experience and best practices in intelligent automation. To learn more about the podcast, visit automationimpact.io. There, I also post short summaries for each episode. Also, you can contribute to the development of this podcast by subscribing and sharing it with your colleagues, friends, and community. Let's learn and grow together. Enjoy listening. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm in with Danilo Maccari, who introduced himself, interestingly, from, I would tell sir about you how you introduce yourself on linkedin but later definitely would be glad if you can bring the light on what is behind each of those titles so head of automation and ai international keynote speaker recognized industry leaders by times ranked as a top 10 in the world sir welcome today we are to speak about how automation will affect individual company and society but before that please Bring the line on all those uh, light on all those titles, and what are you doing nowadays? Yeah, thanks very much. Um, first of all, for inviting me, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm a big fan of your podcasts. Um, so you know, I, I hate titles, and really, who I am uh, as a person, the essence of Danilo is a person who relentlessly wants to improve things in every shape or form, and uh, that's how I started my career. Uh, we'll go into that in a second, perhaps, but um, that naturally led me to to transformation, and naturally led led me to innovation. And I'm very I'm a very practical person, so automation is a natural fit because automation is a practical form of transformation because you can quickly see the results and you can plan ahead, etc. So that's what I do uh, for day to day job. Um, I also do that, um, you know as a keynote speaker. Uh, so I just go around the world uh, before COVID. It was going around the world. Now it's just going around to different Zoom calls, uh, talking in conferences, uh, trying to disseminate uh, good information into the market, uh, trying to kill uh, some um, you know, uh, falsehoods uh, about the things that are put into the market, and also just sharing my experience, You know, the, the battle scars that I've had along the way. Uh, you know, things to do with the times, etc. It's just that I've been in different publications. Uh, I'm actually proud to be in the in the times. I think it's a great publication and Bloomberg and a few others. Um, but, you know, who I am at heart is just somebody who wants to change and improve things. And I think uh, automation, innovation uh, and using a practical sense uh, can be very, very transformational. Sir, and before getting into keynote speak keynote speaker role and on getting on uh speaking to audience and sharing all this experience i think that there is one aspect big big aspect we which we need to consider here is like what's your experience before that so before you go and share that yes what is what are the knowledge and where the knowledge comes from which you go and share about all this automation what was your experience before getting on stage and speaking about it sure 
Um, so just, you know, curious as a person, you know, since a young age, always looking to make improvements, etc. Fast forward, you know, my first ever real, real job was in Motorola. Um, I was very lucky to be in Motorola when they were the, the kings of the, of the phone jungle with the Razer phone, etc. And I worked in the innovation team. And my job was to run a forum between uh, the finance team and the technical team in order to decide what are we going to invest in next in terms of innovation. So very interesting job, very, very lucky to have that job. Um, So, you know, I was, you know, Motorola, you know, the the people who invented Six Sigma, um, you know, very keen users of Kaizen and Kaiban, you know, the very nature and basics of uh, process reengineering, continuous improvements. Um, So I I really enjoyed that. And that's where I I, I just took off into that space. Uh, Then all the roles I had after that, mostly in financial services, were to do with um, operational improvement, operational efficiency, looking at, you know, how to make the company better, faster, stronger, etc. And um, I just got a very, a lot of very good breaks, went into some uh, managerial programs, uh, which were very selective, and somehow I managed to get in, um, and just lived my way through it. Um, I, I started doing automation before there were really any vendors in the market. So using macros, using scripts, um, re-engineering processes, etc., and then later on, as soon as Blue Prism came out, Automation Anywhere, UiPath, all of the different vendors, I started using them one by one. And I think to, up to date, I'm proud to say that I was the biggest client in the world for Blue Prism at one point, biggest client in the world for Automation Anywhere, and the biggest client in the world for UiPath. So I've used the uh, I've used these tools uh, extensively, and uh, I think up to date now I've used. Uh, 10 or 11 different automation tools, you know, at large scale. So that's how I started. Um, it was really just being in the right place at the right time, which was very much, you know, the basics of automation, which is about process engineering and continuous improvement. Were you always, I mean, how you describe it, I think that the, the longest journey you made is definitely in automation. How, in your experience, especially with this Motorola experience, which you describe, was it, linked with the continuous improvement. It was it like a one team or did you have a two separate teams, one dedicated for Lean Six Sigma and continuous improvement, another for automation? And where did you start? To, to be honest, you know, the when I my job in Motorola, there was no such thing as automation in terms of software robots. Um, so that word was never kind of said in the office. Um, nobody really knew it. It wasn't a buzzword. It was just purely re-engineering thinking how to do things better, measuring productivity, cutting out errors, making you know small incremental changes here and there. It's only until I got into investment banking when um, it was kind of, uh, let's say 2008 or nine, uh, that then it really was about the buzzword automation. And then later on, RPA became a buzzword and then uh, we all know today, you know, these words are huge now. And then now it, the new buzzword is AI. So it wasn't until much later that I even heard of the word automation or ever thought of it as a as an actual robot. Um, now, nowadays, having those split, yeah, in and, and I think that for moving on, the the split would be even bigger, that, that there would be like more 
uh, more focus on optimization itself as a role where you would have the you would have to develop the capabilities for optimization only as well as for automation as well as later for AI it's hard to imagine in even nowadays that one person would combine all those uh, roles have, were you ever at the point where you needed to decide if you are to continue with this older way of optimization that the complex uh, approach where you do the, if, if we speak about Lean Six Sigma, you also measure this uh, define, measure, analyze, yeah, and, and et cetera. Or at some point you made a decision just to focus on automation and AI. So was there ever a decision uh, on front of you if you are to continue with one or another, or you still combine those? To be honest, I, I, it was a natural progression. So it, it was kind of process reengineering, Six Sigma, Kaizen, Kaiban, et cetera. Then it started going into simple automation like RPA, and then it went into AI very quickly uh, when I was head of AI for Citigroup. Um, then what happened most recently in the last kind of three or so years is I've, I, I've, I've taken all those things with me and put them all as part of the shed. So, you know, if you think of a shed and having lots of tools in there in order to do different things in your garden, basically I, ke I keep all those tools in my shed today. So that's why, you know, I'm, I'm leading more than just automation. It's also AI as well. Um, but also, I, I would never leave behind process reengineering and Six Sigma because a lot of times when you are automating, you are also reengineering a process and you need to still have the fundamentals of uh, process reengineering with you. So, you know, in the world of digital transformation and, and improving a company that has multiple different things that it needs and issues that it's trying to solve, you need to have multiple tools in the shed in, all, in order to service the company properly. So it's just like a mechanic. You know, you go into a mechanic, they have hundreds of different tools for different cars and need different things. It's the same thing for a company. So today I, I take all those things with me, but I did, you know, naturally progress through them one by one and become an expert in them, although I'm always learning every day. Um, so today it's it, the art, I think, today is how do you combine all these things so that there is nothing that your company needs that you don't have. And how do you do it in a harmonious way, in a way that it doesn't create uh, chaos, and in a way that you know overall there is synergies between these different methods and approaches to improving the operational efficiency of a company. Got it. Um, before we dive into our main topic of today, like effect of how automation will affect individual company and, and government, you clearly elaborate on a topic about company. Yeah? So you went through uh, several large impl implementations. Yeah, you mentioned that you were the largest customer for Big3 in, in RPA uh, market. Um, can you a little bit share, you mentioned also some government experience. So can you shortly elaborate on this? Because later we will also dive into a topic, but um, to warm up the interest also, uh, what was your government experience? So there was, a, there was a time where I completed just over a decade in banking. Um, I was very tired. It was after the financial crisis uh, where I was doing multiple people's jobs. Um, and also that was the time where I got the most promotions as well. So uh, just, you know, working hard, but I was very tired. I was burned out and, you know, I was still very young and I wanted to learn something different. So after becoming one of the youngest directors in uh, Royal Bank of Canada, I left. I quit on the week that I got promoted, much to everybody's surprise, and I left. I was living in the UK. I then went to live in the Middle East. 
I set up my own consultation company in order to use my knowledge of uh, digital transformation, AI, automation, to teach governments how to use this. Because it was always lingering in my mind that one day, you know, the private sector is going to take off in this area, as it always does with innovation, and then government's going to be, you know, very much behind all of this. And all of the effects that that can have on societies is really huge. Um, So my little contribution to that, but also I saw an opportunity uh, was to open up a consultation company that would deal with governments. So I dealt with 13 different governments around the world, uh, teaching them how to use automation, AI and innovation in general, in order to improve the way that they service uh, their populations. So things like how to renew a passport faster, uh, how to be more accurate in giving people speeding tickets, uh, how to analyze populations and, and traffic information, things like that, uh, how to optimize emergency services by using AI, very interesting things. Um, and it really was, I was really amazed at the state that a lot of governments are in, you know, they've only just started, you know, at that point, you know, getting used to Excel. So if you bring onto the table, you know, robotics and AI, uh, it was really a different world to them. Uh, but I was very lucky that I was in the UAE. Uh, UAE is very much forward thinking, you know, Saudi Arabia as well, thinking about the 2030 city, they're always thinking ahead. Um, so I started really working with them first and then spreading out to, to governments around the world. Um, but that was it really, um, trying to, to, to give my contribution in order so that governments catch up in this uh, very fast paced environment. That, that was my next question and you partially already answered that. Uh, so what was your first country or the government where you started to do uh, the, these initiatives and if you still remember the first use case that you were touching there? Oh God, I'm actually not allowed to speak about which government for what reason. Uh, it, it's always tricky when you work with governments. Um, but it was a government in uh, the African continent. Um, I was invited for a week-long trip uh, in order to talk to ministers about uh, AI and automation. And out of that, we built uh, a roadmap for the next three years of what the country is going to use that for and who are they going to give that work to, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a whole uh, strategic workshop around that. And then I left and I supported it from a distance. Um, but it was, you know, very basic things like, you know, how do they get away from using papers in, in government offices? How do they digitize everything? So going really back to the beginning, because if, you know, if you don't digitize stuff, it's very hard to, to put robotics and AI onto it unless it's on the computer. Um, how do, what kind of camera systems would they need to do facial recognition, uh, that kind of stuff. So it was very much around, uh, security, uh, and it was very much around just cutting costs because a government's just, you know, not looking always at being the most efficient, uh, operations. Um, for once they were thinking about using their budgets, um, a little bit better and uh, so that they can get more out of you know the, the tax income that they get so they can give back to the population and also things like i also ended up getting involved in things like blockchain you know how can that be used for uh identity purposes you know companies like estonia uh using that you know very thoroughly now um you know blockchain identities and things like that so that's also very interesting and also with um oh just yeah, everything's coming back um working with you know uh, certain departments in, in countries where they deal with traffic. Uh, so 
uh, dealing with cars and registration of cars and things like that. You know, how can how can AI and automation be used along with blockchain in order, you know, when you're selling cars, uh, when you're receiving speeding tickets, you know, how can it be uh, given to a person more accurately so that they don't, they don't lose revenue as well? So it was just very varied. Um, the beauty of it is that it was a, a greenfield. Uh, most of the governments have never used AI, uh, especially for their day-to-day operations. So every day I got a different, you know, use case, a different thing to work on. It was very exciting. Yeah. Uh, later we will get to this topic also, and we will try to define the AI because whenever I mention this AI, I always use the yeah. quotation marks because there is like bunch of technologies behind it. Sure. Let's dive in. So impact of automation on three aspects. We have individual, we have company, and we have government where with your rich experience in the last two, I wouldn't spend much time with with individual itself because I think that it was quite often discussed in in, in many different uh, aspects. But I still want to ask one question, which which is quite regular in 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 when when it touched the individual. You were mentioning about the city of twenty thirty and and the city city of the future, etc. The role of individual uh, in like twenty thirty, and and my question would be, automation will take my job, yeah. So automation will replace human. Can you elaborate on this? This is the only question I would have to individual. Then we would <coughs> go on to company yeah. and government topic. So, so look, in um, I, humans are are beautiful, complex creatures. You know, we can do things uh, that are subconscious without even really thinking about it. There's this this there's almost you know there's a there's a huge way to go for a a type of robot or a type of AI to replace a human. Okay, but you know, one thing that we have to uh, recognize is that even though we're beautiful, complex creatures that can do amazing things, we are given robotic work to do at work. So things like copying and pasting, reconciliation, sending out mass emails, all this really repetitive stuff that we could do uh, almost in our sleep. And this is the bit that can be replaced. And and that, that needs to be made very clear. And I think one thing that people need to do is they need to get rid of robophobia. They need to get rid of the, the, the fear of robots taking over them. They're never going to be replaced as humans, but the robotic work that people do will be replaced. And if a company has, you know, a team that's doing something very robotic, like, um, <clears throat> you know, scanning pieces of information and taking a, a file, saving it in a folder, or going into um, you know, a specific place to download files, something very robotic like that, or doing a reconciliation of some sort. Um, you know, if, it, if that's all that a team does, that team will be replaced by robotics. But if a team um, you know, does have you know, certain things that they do, which involves executive decisioning, uh, things that they have to think about, you know, take multiple sensory inputs, um, then by no means today, uh, automation uh, or AI can replace them. Um, and that's that's a very clear distinction that people have to make because I think a lot of times people go to the very high level summary that you know automation will replace people. That's not the case necessarily, but it's the case when people do robotic work. Yeah. And linking on that, like on the one hand, you, men- you have mentioned this robophobia, but on the other hand, still nowadays, companies are driven by FTE saving mania. So that 
I will implement RPA to, to release FTEs, to save the cost on exactly this robotic work, etc. And I find it as a short-term goals where in the projects which last longer for us, we already observed that this very quickly shifted from, like the focus very quickly shifted from this FTE saving mania to realizing the bigger aspects of automation, bigger aspects of of AI and, and all the quality improvements and improvements of experience where we can speak about the user experience, about the customer experience, employee experience, experience company experience. Uh, if we are to say that FTE saving money is a short-term goal, what is the long-term uh, vision for the company or what vision the company should create when approaching this automation, when approaching the AI? What is the company stage of 2030 when, when we speak about the automation and AI? Yeah, that's a good point. So to answer that question, I have to go back a little. So, you know, automation in, in effect, when you're going to automate something, you need to understand exactly what a person is doing at a click level. Every click, every stroke of the keyboard, you have to understand exactly why they do things and look at all the decision trees that they go through for a specific process. There's, no, there's nothing else that you do in working life that requires you that level of information. Nothing. So automation forces the topic of what are people doing? And it's one of the few or only things that does that in work today. So when you do that, you start understanding why the company is working in a certain way, why certain teams are taking longer than others, et cetera, et cetera. So by doing that, you very quickly start, you know, putting the company in a, in a, in a, in a way that they become experts in what they do again. They, they, they come out of their subconscious and they come in and think about things more strategically. It forces the topic. When you force that topic, you end up doing a lot of things. You end up giving the company a backbone in terms of how do we do things better but really, this time, we're really asking how do we do things because we need to know it so that we can automate it. When you do that, you bring people closer together. <clears throat> you get people talking uh, in between different teams. You get out of that team silo that exists in every company. Um, so collaboration goes through the roof. Um, then because you're doing that and you're doing it from the ground up, you're looking at the exact things that you're doing, you end up eventually impacting your clients. So the MPS score, uh, you know, the, the net promoter score, different scores for measuring how happy clients are, that usually eventually gets affected by automation. Sometimes quickly, sometimes it takes a while. Because people are being given the chance to reskill and being given the chance to actually enjoy their work again and you know, give the robotic work away and do more interesting things, employee satisfaction has shown through research that it also goes up sometimes exponentially, depending what kind of team and company you're in. So employee benefits, employee satisfaction goes up. Attrition rates go down. The cost of hiring, the cost of training people goes down because less people are leaving. Um, because you have automation, uh, you, don't, you can do more work safely with less people or the same amount of people, which means that you, have, you need less real estate which means that you know the biggest costs in companies today are real estate and salaries of people, right? 
So if you eliminate having as much real estate, that's a huge saving as well. So there is a lot of tangible and intangible benefits of automation. Um, some of them, which people don't mention, like you know the real estate thing, that's very tangible. Um, if a client is happier and it comes through an NPS course, that's tangible. Employee attrition rates going down, that's tangible. Um, one thing that I do in, in most of my programs is I measure something called manual touch points, MTP. So that's basically how manual is the company by measuring how many times people click their mouse and type on their keyboard. So usually what I see is if a company has 4 billion touch points a year and we introduce automation, you know, one measure of success and one measure of intangible benefit is if over time the manual touch points of humans is going down because of the work you're automating and the manual touch points of robots is going up, as soon as you have that cross point between humans and robotics, when robots start doing more manual work than humans, that to me, I think is a very great measurement of success. But can you put a number in it? No, but you got to look at everything holistically and you got to understand that a lot of people who don't understand this stuff very well, you know, they, because they of ignorance or because of just lack of understanding, you know, not everybody's going to be a genius and everything. The natural question is how many FTs did you save? And, but they don't understand that robotics stays alive for years. You build a robot today, it will stay alive for the next three or four years. And the benefits snowball, tangible and intangible. So the FTE benefit actually comes in the long run. In the short run, you can have some quick wins, sure. But in the long run, that's when you get the real FTE benefits. So it just snowballs, uh, intangible and tangible, it snowballs over time. So I just gave a few examples there because yeah, everybody just talks about FTE savings, but there's a, actually a, it's a much bigger picture uh, what automation does to a company and the kind of topics that it forces. So yeah, pretty big picture stuff. Sure, appreciate it. And with answering this question, you probably trigger a few more in, in, in my head. Uh, first of all, talking about this manual touch points, how do you measure that? Do you have, do you have any recommendations of what are the best ways of capturing this before and after picture? Um, there are some sleeper apps that you can put on computers um, that measure clicks, uh, clicks of a mouse, clicks of a keyboard. And what you need to do, the hard part is not that. There are many vendors that do this. Uh, the hard part is collecting all of that together so that you can visualize it in Tableau or something else. Um, so you need you need uh, one or two decent data scientists to, to put that together for you. And it depends on the organization as well and the setup. Uh, but there are some basic off-the-shelf uh, companies you can talk to and then ask for the service. It's a sleeper app, basically, on the computer. Yeah. Uh, besides the clicks and, and mouse interactions and, and, and keyboard interactions, do you try also to capture the process already in this stage or it is only quantifying the, this manual touch points, as you said? So do you try to somehow make it as a part of your process mapping? Of course, look, to, to measure, um, you know, success and to, in, in order to measure processes, you need to actually measure the process. Um, I just like to look at manual touch points as a very high level number because people don't, they underestimate how manual a company is. And if, you know, when you have that breaking point where robots are doing more manual work than humans, um, that's when you should start expecting some real big benefits out of automation. So it's just a it's just a high level measurement of how manual is my company today, how manual is it a year two years from now after automation has been introduced. 
And if it comes to a point where, you know, the, the manual touch points just, you know, stay the same, then you're not doing a good job at actually making the company less manual. So it's just, um, it's a good measurement of the impact of automation in the company. Got it. Um, you have mentioned several aspects where the quality and, and the overall experience gets improved. You, you mentioned customer satisfaction, which quite often is a more, not, not the initial goal of automation because automation focuses on internal operations. It is quite often the result of, of automation. But when it comes to employee satisfaction, it is not that passive indicator where company needs to put the effort to achieve this, this employee satisfaction because uh, in some cases, this automation, in the, especially in the short term, can also cause employee dissatisfaction. So my question to you would be, if we can a little bit elaborate on the journey from the company today before having automation to the company with having automation already implemented and achieving these points of employee satisfaction. So how uh, after approaching the first quick wins, after approaching the first savings, and after also releasing the FTEs, not necessarily people, but FTEs in those robotic processes, manual processes, how me as a company owner or the board of, of, of the company uh, should act to retain the people, keep people in the organization, reskill them. So what, 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 what were the best strategies you observe or maybe even consult back in the past? So remember I was saying that humans are the most beautiful creatures on earth, uh, most complicated, intelligent. Um, it's really about people. So, you know, the only times I've seen where, you know, employees were negatively impacted by automation was when they were not involved. Um, so it's, it's in programs where companies try to do this in a covert way, keep it very hush hush, you know, underground information, need to know basis. That's when problems arise because people start realizing that something strange is happening and their guard goes up. But if you introduce it as, Hey, um, make it very public, very open. Everybody gets to see the information, even make a bit too much noise about the information. And you involve people as champions of processes, champions of automation projects, even make them sponsors of projects, reskill them along the way. Um, then very quickly, people are both going to get the skill to do it, but also they're going to get the enjoyment of actually delivering something new and a new skill set they never had before. So one thing that I love doing is having something like an automation champions program where we give people the chance to skill uh, to learn how to uh, automate, learn how to build robots. So they would go in, for instance, if it was UiPath, go into UiPath Academy. Um, if it's a, a business analyst or project manager for automation projects, you know, teach them the basics of you know how to look after and run our automation projects. So we, we set up all of these courses in the company I'm in now and previous companies where it became very open and transparent. Hey, if you want to learn how to do this, you're, you can take the time to do it. And if you want to, you know, raise a project that's very good, you will become the sponsor of it and you will be involved in it every single day. So it's all about involving people. Um, just going to the client bit real quick. Um, to, in today's world, automation is something that is expected. Uh, it's no longer that thing that it's no longer that shiny toy that only the, the top companies have anymore. All the middle tier companies are going after this as well. So when a client is working with you, they're expecting you to have AI and automation in some form. Uh, otherwise, it's not good value for money, right? They can go and talk to somebody else who has it, 
as a competitor. So a lot of times what happens is the reason why you can very quickly see an impact on clients is because they actually request you to automate things for them. So they come to you and say, hey, you know that service you provide for me every month or every year? I want you to automate it, please, because there's been too many errors. And then if you don't have an automation team, you're going to lose that client very quickly. So it's an expectation today. And that's why you see customer satisfaction goes up quicker because they're actually, they know about your automation project. They request it and they're expecting it to be delivered. And when you deliver it, they will see the impact of how versus how it was done when humans were doing it. So just those two things I want to put out there because, you know, not everybody's going to have the same success or the same approach to automation. And that means they're going to have different outcomes, but it doesn't mean that everybody will have the same outcome. Um, so reskilling is, is, is really about, you can re you don't, you don't automate the company first and then reskill people. What you do is you reskill people while you're automating the company. That's the trick there. And you, you kill two or three birds with one stone. Uh, maybe elaborating a little bit on what you have mentioned about the, the customer, you, you you shift the focus a bit uh, on the end. I, I want to also elaborate on this, that back in the past, when you say that you do automation, you like people may guess about the macros, about those scripts, etc. And it was kind of a niche. Yeah? So you, you do certain activities within the automation. But nowadays, what I would like to highlight is that automation is not anymore a niche, or a project that you implement the automation in the in a company. Yeah, same as back in the past, like improvement initiative. It is not something that, that you just do in a company, but if you follow the Lean Six Sigma, it is a continuous improvement. And I just I just was speaking last week on one conference about uh, automation versus optimization, like what should go first, etc. And when elaborating on optimization, I was saying that it is like Lean Six Sigma is an it, it's not a project, but it is mindset in the company. It is what the whole company is living. And now with automation, I see the same thing happening. It is not anymore the tiny niche or tiny companies are doing it or some project or service you you receive in your company, but it becomes a mindset. It becomes a style of the company and it becomes the the, the work style. It's not a lifestyle, but it is a work style of each company. And when it comes of to RPA, I I hardly can imagine can imagine the company where RPA cannot be adapted or where AI cannot be adapted. The, the question is in what form, in what areas, but I think that even now it is everywhere and in few more years, I can't imagine the company which haven't had an experience with it. So this, can you a little bit maybe elaborate on the automation as a lifestyle, not the automation as a project, but automation as a way of thinking and the new continuous, if we had the continuous improvement, now we have continuous automation and, and implementation of AI. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new. Don't forget to visit our web automationimpact.io and share this episode on social media. It helps to grow and develop the podcast. Thank you.